0: Welcome back to another episode of 5 a.m. Theology. So Chris, this week we got into the book of Job because Job happened around the time of the Patriarch. so he's right after Genesis. And the book of Job is usually known for two things, showing how quote-unquote bad things happen to even quote-unquote good people and showing the absolute sovereignty of God, especially over Satan. But the passage that we're going to talk about today, just a few verses, are easy to overlook. It's found in Job chapter 2, 11 to 13. By now, Job has lost all of his material wealth and all of his children. Right before these verses, God gives Satan permission to physically attack Job too, although he wasn't allowed to kill him. So Satan had painful sores break out all over Job from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Scripture says that he sat in the ashes, probably to rub them on the sores to get some relief, and scraped himself with broken pieces of pottery.
1: Yeah, it really sounds sickening. And I don't think most of us can truly imagine how Job was suffering at this point. I mean, it just sounds incredibly horrible. He's lost just about everything, his children, his livelihood, just about all of his servants, his health. The one thing he does have left, though, is his wife. And she tells him to curse God and die. So little consolation coming from her. And then Job 2, 11 to 13 says, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Like we said, people
0: tend to really look at the suffering of Job in in this book, and as they should. So these verses, when we get to them, are easy to pass over, but we shouldn't because at this moment in Job's story, his friends do exactly the right thing and are really an excellent example of what true friendship looks like. In fact, I got to say, these guys are pretty awesome friends at this point. And yeah, they go off the rails later, but here they really convicted me about doing the right thing when a friend is suffering. When they hear all that's happened to Job, they obviously contact each other because they plan on going to see Job together. They make a well-coordinated effort to go comfort their friend. Now, Chris, you and I have two other very dear friends, and the four of us often check in with each other about what's going on in our lives. We pray for each other, and we really do try to be there for each other as much as we can. We're not all in the same location. But look how
1: far these guys take that. Yeah, and I'm convicted just like you are. First, we see that these guys are seriously shaken up and they're really affected by seeing their friend and how much he's suffering. These men are weeping out loud in anguish at what their friend is suffering. They tear their robes, which is a sign of mourning. These men are truly empathetic to what their friend is going through. They didn't just shoot him a text or drop off a meal or give him a call or just say that they're praying for him. They put themselves in the thick of Job's suffering. And the text says that they sat with him in ashes for seven days and seven nights, not saying a word. They just sat there in silence, showing their love and their solidarity for their friend. The silence is only broken when Job speaks. So you have to wonder how long they would have been willing to sit there without saying a word if he hadn't spoken.
0: Yeah. Now, as we see later, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar have their issues. But here, you can't read this without being amazed at their devotion and their caring for Job. For all their bad theology, they love their friend. Yep. And sure, it would be easy to say, well, times were different then. How many of us could really sit quietly with a friend for seven straight days when they're suffering? But could we do two hours a day or an hour a day? If we're geographically close, could we make sure we physically go see them instead of just calling or texting? And if we aren't, are we at least calling every day to check on them and not rushing off the phone? And we certainly aren't saying that dropping off a meal isn't a thoughtful thing to do. It certainly is. But are we hanging out for a while when we do? Are we
1: entering into our friend's pain? Very good questions to ask ourselves. And we certainly aren't judging anyone because we can easily be guilty of this ourselves. I know I have been, and I'm sure you probably have been too, Rose. It's easy for us to be busy about our own lives that we don't fully invest ourselves in our friend that's hurting. We probably all think of them often and pray for them often, but how fully invested are we? And like I said, the busyness of our own lives is probably one of the main culprits that makes us not do this right but i have to ask could it also be that we don't want to dive into the dirt with our friend we don't want to get our hands dirty or our minds troubled by entering into their pain and rose sometimes it's because it's too too emotionally hard for us but i gotta say sometimes it's just because of the uncomfortableness and not knowing what to say
0: yeah i i completely agree with you chris Several years ago, my twin grandsons were born and the older one was in distress. For over a week, we didn't think he was going to live. We lived at the NICU in Georgia's Children's Hospital. Now, I appreciate everyone who reached out to me. And there were so many. And there were so many people praying for that baby. Since we were in Georgia in the NICU, physically coming really wasn't an option for anyone. But I got to say, my friend Cheryl, she rallied her church and her Bible study to pray for him. And she called me every day to get a report. And she knew that any of those calls, she might hear that Landon didn't make it. And I could remember hearing how pained she was in her voice when we talked. And it was like it was happening to her own grandson. And don't get me wrong. I had a lot of friends who were amazing and supportive. Chris, you were certainly one of them. But I just remember Cheryl's empathy and steadfastness. And that she called every day wanting to know what was going on. And you know what? Other than asking how things were going and that she and others were praying, she didn't say anything else. She would just let me ramble on as I needed to.
1: She didn't try to tell me, don't worry, God's got this. Or she didn't do anything. She just sat on the phone. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us. One of the reasons that people don't want to get directly involved in others' pain is not because they don't care. It's like I said, we don't know what to say a lot of times job's friends didn't know what to say and you know what they just sat there which is probably something that we could all take a very good lesson from because a lot of times you don't need to do anything but be there and a lot of times the conversation will come sometimes the most comforting thing that we can say to a hurting friend is nothing and just being there quietly with them is what they need cry with them and love them now Job's friends, like you said, Rose, get a bad rap for the bad advice that, and the bad theology that they go on to give Job through a very big part of this book. And they really do have some bad theology. In fact, God corrects them at the end of the book. In Job 42 7, God says to his friends, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. It's ironic that. They were true, compassionate friends who loved Job and did the right thing by just sitting with him in silence and being there for him. But when they opened their mouths and started giving Job life advice, everything plummeted. It went south from there. They were at their best when they were just quietly sitting there supporting Job. Yeah, they had the good sense to stay silent until
0: Job started talking at least. But as soon as Job starts lamenting about his situation, They dive in full force telling him what his problem is, why God is angry at him, and how he needs to fix things. And I don't think the point of this is that we should never give advice to a suffering friend. There are times when wisdom needs to be spoken into a situation. But Chris, as you know, timing is everything. First and foremost, we need to show our love to our friends by just being there. We need to be willing to enter into their suffering, to sit in silence with them and just be there for him. And we do need to use wisdom as to whether advice should be given at all, or at least at that time. Like I said, timing's everything. There's a time to speak and there's a time to stay
1: quiet and there's a time just to be present. Amen to that. And that's a good place to end this morning. Have a blessed morning, everybody.